This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. You don't know where you are, and when you open your eyes to complete darkness, the last thing you remember is the dog running out into the road, the brightness of the daylight, and your car headed off the road. And now, as your head clears, you realize you are hanging upside down. So, are you? Do you want to finish your date notes later from your first date? <laughs> no, I think he's telling us what's going to happen to us later tonight. Later I'm kind of worried about that. All of your intros lately have been like about murdering us. It's kind of weird. Have uh, they? It yeah. Is Halloween. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Happy Halloween, well, everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Bacon Cell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And Jacob. And we'd like to thank you for listening to our vampire show, which was last week. We had a lot so of fun much doing fun. that one. In fact, I had some people tell me that they loved that show because they like the murder podcast. And it was so factual. There were fact, a lot of Morgan facts. Western from the Adventures Out There podcast said she really loved that episode. So I said, well, at least you liked one of our shows. And maybe you should go back to our werewolf show or our zombie show from yeah. our first year. Because we, we like to cram facts in sometimes. Yes. Some, sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, but yes, we got some good feedback too. Jim Smith. So we 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 gave a list of Bacon Cell approved vampire movies, mm-hmm. and we thought we covered a pretty wide range. Yeah. And then Jim Smith on Facebook said, "Love the list." Was disappointed. My best friend is a vampire. Didn't make the list. I thought it was a funny movie, and I went, <laughs> "What is this?" And so then he actually shared a trailer, which told never me heard nothing, of that. and then he showed me a clip. And I watched this and I was like, I've never, I have no concept of this movie. I've never heard of this vampire movie. It looks really campy. Yes. It's it's, this guy's like having a hard time believing he's a vampire. But I was like, wow, I learned something. Probably not bacon cell approved though. We'll see. We're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Jim, thank you for sharing. uh, Yeah. Thank you for sharing a new movie with us that I'd never even heard of. I always enjoy that. So, yeah. And also, uh, we want to uh, discuss our giveaway for the month. We've been hitting it a lot, so we're just going to go real briefly. Jake, you want to give the real brief version? Yeah, real brief version. Uh, from the time that this show airs, you have 16 days left if you want to claim the rewards of being able to uh, get the Hitchcock uh, Masterpiece Collection on mm-hmm. Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And if you want Kent to draw a scary Halloweenified picture Which of you. I am in the, in the thick of it right now, so jump he on is. that. Yeah, no, he is very busy uh, drawing these... And they look really cool. But there's only 16 days left if you want to be a part of that. Yeah. Also, 16 days left to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get a chance to win the Psycho Psycho Blu-ray. And some people that took advantage of that, we're going to name right now. We have three people we'd like to mention. Some patrons. First of which... Uh, We got Rock E. Harper. He's a new patron on Patreon. And so he's entered to win... The entire Alfred Hitchcock Ultimate Masterpiece. And I have to draw him. And you have to draw him. So I will be reaching out to see what kind of picture you want drawn of yourself. Yeah. But the thanks, Tim Rock. Burton uh, pick has been very popular, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Like the Burtonified? Yeah, the Burtonified. Yeah. Also, we have an old friend of mine. Maybe an old boss, Tim Hemingway. <laughs> I think he just wants a picture was, from me because... He was your boss and now he's working for you. <laughs> oh, y- yes. <laughs> he's paying me again. But yeah, so Tim, welcome to welcome to the club. Thank you, Tim, for being a patron. And finally, Tito Delgado has signed up. Awesome. And uh, we're glad to have him. He actually has two different names, so hopefully that's the one he goes by. Okay. Yeah. So, so well, thank you. Thank Tito, you for being a patron. I'll be drawing you as well. Yeah. Man, it's so much work, but I, it'll be fun. You do have so much work. I hope this work. pays off for everyone. I hope everyone likes their picture. Uh, next time we do one of these uh, prize things, Jacob has to do the bulk of the work. But we do have a you want big... want me to draw? Because you'll whittle, you'll yeah. whittle something for him. Yeah, okay. We'll see what I can do. We do have a big request, and this is so time sensitive, so we'll get through it really quick. Next week, we are doing our horror pitch show. 
And so this show airs on Monday. You only have two days from this show to do this. We want your horror pitches, much like we did last year on the show. On yeah, just one pitch. Season of the pitch. Yes. We want a near about five minute pitch. It can be shorter, of course. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little longer, just not like Kent length. <laughs> But what we want from you, right. it, it could be an original. Five uh, pages, five minutes. It could, it could it be a ghost story that you've written. It could be a, a story, a short story that you love to want to adapt into kind of a an elevator pitch, as they right. say. Uh, it could, just have fun with it. Honestly, so if somebody sends us some notes, are we going to kind of amp this up a little bit? Are we going to add to we it? May or add are we just, little, are we just edits? reading Maybe, it as it is? But most of it's going to be as is. And so just give us kind of the story as if you were on the show with us talking about it. Like last time we were just like, here's my idea. Yeah. There's a lake and it's haunted and da, 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 da. And then Kent comes in and is like, I'm going to scare your pants <laughs> off. And you look into the mirror every yeah. single night and something looks back. But have fun with it. Really, we're not going to be rating these. We're not, we're not actually producers who are going to be green lighting or red lighting these although we may do it i'm sure we will in a way yes you know there's gonna be some fun critiquing but really just have fun with it and please submit uh you only got a little bit of time left like we said this is gonna release on monday you got till wednesday the 17th that's the cutoff day after that we have all we need so so please join us but that's not what we're talking about today no i'm so excited what are we talking about today jacob today we're not really talking about anything we are going to be talking no, we're going to be reading other people's works. This is probably the best way to say this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're going to be, this is going to be a different show, but be, so much fun. I like how our voices are getting soft. Well, here's the thing that nobody knows. <laughs> the reading voices is coming. We've out. set the mood. Jake, tell us the what the show is about. Tonight, listener, you're going to hear scary stories told literally in the dark. In yes. the dark right now. We've turned off the, the main breaker to the bacon cave and we are sitting here yeah. in the dark with nothing but a few bl- bats flying around with some candles in their claws. We yeah. actually just recorded a bacon bit as well as a bacon bit and we did that in the dark as well. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> For it's the all, mood, Jake. It's all about Kit, setting so the mood. wanted to light candles, but we drew the line. No, we, no, we, have we, bats are, with the candles. we are telling scary stories to tell in the dark in the dark. Now, these aren't just any scary stories to tell in the dark. The literal, what we're really talking about is the book series, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which some of you know and some of you love because they were awesome. And some of you don't know. And so you'll enjoy this. The book's by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamel, not Stephen Amell from Arrow. No, although who knows what he's illustrating. But no, these these books came out uh, early 80s to early 90s. Uh, I believe the first book, Scary Stories, it's three books, uh, 82 stories. And the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book came out in 1981. More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark came out in 1984. And there's a big jump to Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones in 1991. And I'm just saying it's a little convenient, but Alvin Schwartz, the author, died in 1992, a year after the third book was released. Yes. And he these aren't... Like Who knows a, how many volumes we'd have otherwise? I wish we well, had more. Because what he did, and, and I wanted to bring this up, is that these aren't his original stories. He, he took popular folklore like he it's amazing the amount of research he put into this considering yes. it's a children's book well he actually was a researcher though yeah that's what he like, did he was a folklore i think he actually well, he was folklore. a journalist first and then he became a researcher and a writer and yeah. just talked to folklorists and became a folklorist himself so then he would He'd have a podcast if he was oh, oh yeah. he totally would yeah but he would compile these stories into these series of books and take very popular urban legends and folklores from other countries in this country and turn them into tellable stories or short stories to tell in the dark for kids it's genius but the funny thing is is this guy alvin schwartz he wrote over 50 books dedicated to and dealing with folklore and wordplay 
uh, including such uh, such titles. These are going to read some of the titles here. Okay. As In a Dark, Dark Room and Other Scary Stories, which I was like, I want to read that yeah, one. Yeah, me too. Fat Man in a Fur Coat and Other Bear Stories. Uh, There's a Carrot in My Ear and Other Noodle Tales. Oh, yeah. My favorite. A Twister of Twists, A Tangler of Tongues. Cross Your Fingers, Spit in Your Hat, Superstitions and Other Beliefs. These here is a couple. The last two are my favorite here. Stories to Tell a Cat, which, you know, that's a great title. Can, can and I read the cat sometimes? Yeah, we do. And finally, I Saw You in the Bathtub and Other Folk Rhymes. <laughs> I Saw You that's, in the Bathtub? That's, that's a folk rhyme? I don't know, but that's one of the titles of his books. So, look, Alvin Schwartz, for what you have done for mankind and for our childhoods, we'd like to thank you. But yeah. the man we truly like to thank and I think has cursed our brains most of our lives, probably since the age of 10, mm-hmm. is Stephen Gamel or Gamel. Yeah. I'm gonna we'll say, say Stephen Gamel. Gamel. Let's say Stephen Gamel. His art is what you remember. And it was what makes the stories very short stories, sometimes a page and a half. It makes them unforgettable. And I'm saying unforgettable when all the lights are off and you're trying to go to sleep, even today. Because these images haunt your brain. You're looking at it going, what? is this what am i what am i seeing here and then it just sears into your brain in that process it, it's horrifying. really funny we're gonna have to provide these pictures now if you guys we will about. i think it's gonna be part of the episode art so both of these guys their other books were not really horror based but these are the books they're known for in fact this artist he drew like fanciful stuff he had like 60 he had 60 he illustrated nearly 60 titles Stephen gamble and did. it's a lot of water, wow. watercolor work but this is what he's known for. And I truly think he was possessed by the devil <laughs> when he drew these. He could be. Well, here's the funny thing is they, so like we said, these books have, have been out for a while. On the 30th anniversary, they re-released the books uh, with new illustrations from the illustrator of a series of unfortunate events, yeah, Brett, Brett Hellquist. Yes. And people were furious. Like they, the illustrations were not even close to as scary, not even close to as memorable. We'll they show were, you after the show. They Jake. were softened. Okay. And people were so mad because you cannot separate Alvin Schwartz's works no. with Stephen, uh, yeah, Stephen Gamble's. In, in fact, the stories don't have the same kind of weight. Even as we share these stories, you may be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of short and really it goes nowhere. Well, but it's the art associated. And keep in mind, these are books for children, these were in children's libraries. In fact, can I believe you wanted to bring up something? Well, it's true. So actually, these books, this this series of books was the most challenged. And by challenge, I mean parents wanted this banned. They tried to get rid of it. From ni- 1990 to 1990, this is the top book on the banned list. And then for the next decade, from uh, 2000 to 2009... Just because it's scary looking, probably? It was the... Oh. For violence. Okay. This was the seventh most challenged book, and it followed like Harry Potter and, and Of Mice and Men. And so it did drop, but at the same time, two decades where this book... Parents just had no idea. In fact, well, I, I have a few quotes here as please well. Please do. Because I wanted to bring this up that there... In these books, Jacob, there is murder, of course... There is cannibalism. There is gruesome ghosts. There's a lot of things in these books that you're like, why would anyone want their kids reading this? And yet we all did as as kids in the 80s and 90s. So one parent who's on the PTA at the time, he told a newspaper, I can appreciate the creativity, but the images in those books are surreal. A throat being torn out, a liver being eaten. These images are the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and and I mean, well, this does kind of talk about some of the other stories, but it's uh, this man talks about his seven-year-old daughter reading Wonderful Sausage. Yep. And it says it's an illustration involved involving a dismembered hand holding a fork full of human flesh. And so he says, you entrust your child yeah. to... 
to the care of the school officials when you send them to school, you don't expect them to be traumatized and harmed. And parents were really, really upset and just saying this is just sick and disgusting. And granted, I think the two of us, Jake, I don't know if you had the same sort of circumstance, but you get, you get the scholastic little newsletter that's about three pages. Yep. And you get to see what books you can order. There's like the zoo books mm. and just like Clifford or whatnot. Mm. And I'd always go to the second page. It was like go, opening a newspaper looking for the comics. <laughs> I'd open the second page and be like, I don't own more scary stories to tell in the dark. And there it is for $8. Mm-hmm. Mom, can I get this book? Mother. Mother, can I get this hor- horrific <laughs> book which will traumatize me for life? Order me a book. But it's funny how like, and it was always available. Yeah. Well, it's funny to me though is that reading it's these weird books, it made mainstream ads. Oh yeah, no this this is this is big. Like actually, Jacob was going to bring this up. Mm-hmm. They are actually working. Uh, the Scary Stories trilogy is currently being adapted into a feature film by CBS Films and uh, the writer of Big Fish and Frank. A and single Wendy. feature film. That seems weird. I don't know if it's going to be like an anthology series, like within well, the movie. I think it'll be similar. I mean, in, when I say Goosebumps, that's probably giving it a, a disservice, even though Goosebumps it's is not gonna good. Be comedic, it's I not going to be comedic. So Guillermo del Toro is producing and helping to write this movie as well. Mm-hmm. And this is the plot. Inspired by one of the most terrifying book series of all time, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark follows a group of teens who must solve the mystery surrounding a wave of spectacularly horror, horrific deaths in their small town. So I think is it, it will take, take it from a story. I think it will take it take from many stories and many grisly okay. things. Yeah. The teens thing maybe throws me off because it could be a PG thirteen romp, but it I should hope be a PG thirteen romp because dark. it's supposed to be for kids. I know, but these images and the, I know, but the kids. age I'm at now, <laughs> I want it to. It's got to be grisly. Well, and also there's a, there's a documentary being made about this. It's been in the process for a couple of years now. They've been trying to get this funded, and they've got like cele- R. L. Stein's in there talking about it. They have a couple of their celebrities talking about this book series, but it's all about the creation of this book series and how it came to be. Because uh, Alvin Schwartz spent like a year on each one of these books, just yeah. gathering stories and putting them together. And it's amazing because they're like little short stories. Yeah. But do we, so, do we want to talk about the the this, the uh, story that Schwartz did not include? Well, I mean, it, in this? there were a lot of gruesome tales that he brought up, but there definitely were lines that he would not cross. And if you want to bring that up. Okay. So he... And you're going to hear some of the stories we talk about where we think they're really scary. And they may not be at this point, or especially to your ears, Jake, because okay. you're being a little bit older. Yeah. But there's one he would not include. He said this in an interview. It's called Infanticide. <laughs> and this is a, a American folklore, European folklore influenced. And it's a story where a youth goes away, travels, becomes quite successful, and his parents are really poor back at home. He comes back one night years later, and he looks completely different. So he doesn't tell them, hey, I'm your son, I'm back, and I'm really wealthy. And he said, and he was saying, tomorrow, I'm going to tell my, my parents that I'm really rich, and I'm going to give them all my money. So they just see this, this guy come back, and he's really rich, but they don't know if it's, it's, it's their son. And they kill him and take his money that night. This is the this is the kind of story here. This little uh, Twilight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twilight Zone twist kind of stuff. And so he just says, so he brought all his money with him. Let's, okay. focus, let's focus on that part of it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's like, like what kind of holes. what kind of deal can I get from this? <laughs> but, so he just says, like, look, this that story was maybe crossing the line a little bit too much. He says it's a great story, but it's the kind of thing I avoid. Yeah, and a lot of these stories are gruesome, like we said. And I want to bring this up because yes, these are going to be cheesy. Yes, these are going to be corny. But as I was binge reading these. And my bed at night, I started to have those same kind of childhood fears creep up on me again to the point where one night I had to close the book and had to watch something funny and then go to bed because I couldn't go to bed with those images in my head. I purposely read one book a night 
And yeah, I hated you for it, Joel. I really <laughs> one did. One book? You mean one story? Uh, no, one, one book, book because very, there's three short. books. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they're about 80 pages each. And I was just hating Joel the entire time because I get creeped out yeah. about stuff that I was scared about in my childhood and still today. So we hope that by reading these on the air tonight that you will have, if, if you were a fan of these books before, we hope you have the same childhood creeps that you used to get. And if you haven't heard them before, Listen to it with some open ears and try yeah. to remember what it's like to read these as a kid. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through these categories. Jacob has a list of categories. Indeed. We're going to pick our winners for each one of these categories. And this is one of the few times where Kent and I coordinated answers. Yes. Now, not that we influenced each other, but just I said, I'm picking these ones. He said, oh, I'm going to pick these ones. We want to make sure we didn't read the same stories. Right. And we will be reading them to you. Already. Are you guys ready? Yes. The first category. I want to know what story stuck with you the most. Which is a, a probably good category st- to bring up first because I, I, I own this trilogy. And when we started talking about it, there's a story that immediately came to my mind. I noticed Kent has the hardcover, though. Yeah, I Kent's do got with the this picture on, on the front I've yeah. right here. I've got the 25th anniversary series. Oh, okay. Uh, which is all the, how the pictures are still there. So I'll go first on this one if you don't mind, Kent. Yep. And I chose May I Carry Your Basket from book one. Sam Lewis spent the evening playing chess at his friend's house. It was about midnight when they finished their game and he started home. Outside it was icy cold. As he came around to turn in the road, he was surprised to see a woman walking ahead of him. She was carrying a basket covered with a white cloth. When he caught up to her, he looked to see who it was, but she was so bundled up against the cold it was hard to see her face. Good evening, Sam said. What brings you out so late? but she didn't answer. Then he said, may I carry your basket? She handed it to him. From under the cloth, a small voice said, that's very nice of you. And that was followed by wild laughter. Sam was so startled that he dropped the basket and out rolled a woman's head. He looked at the head and stared at the woman. It's her head, he cried, and he started to run. And the woman in her head began to chase him. Soon the head caught up to him. It bounded into the air and sunk its teeth into his left leg. Sam screamed with pain and ran faster, but the woman in her head stayed right behind. Soon the head leaped into the air again and bit his other leg. Then they were gone. That's the end? That's the end. These stories aren't very long. You're going to say that about a lot of these. (laughs) I know. But I want you to visualize that the entire time. And also, will you show the picture to Jake as we go? Oh, Oh, yeah. Let's see. So, so Joel, why why did that stay with you? So the reason it was is because I remember when I read this, just the thought of this disembodied voice coming from something I'm holding and then the head coming out and like chasing me. Yes. Being really aggressive. What does that, what does it mean when the head chases? It's just, I think it's just like floating after him. Okay. I envisioned it. But I just, for some reason, I remember May I Carry Your Basket as one of those stories that I didn't see coming. And then when I realized what the book, what, what was happening, and it's just one of those short stories where I'm like, oh, dark road, helping well, some. It's, it's just like imagine walking, walking home from your friend's house. And a lot of these stories are like this. And you're like, you're trying to be a nice guy. Yeah. Or there's not something big chasing you. All of a sudden there's this floating head coming after you and biting, yeah. biting your leg. Biting the leg. And yeah. there's, no, there's no reason he was chosen. He just happens to meet this uh, ghost and so, yeah, that one stuck with me as one of those creepy moments. They should have called it ankle biter. Ankle biter. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Mine is less a story, but more of a description of what to do. A ghost in the mirror. This is a scary game that young people sometimes play. 
trying to conjure up a ghost in their bathroom mirror. Many don't really believe that a ghost is going to appear, but they try to raise one anyway, for the fun and the excitement. Some are willing to settle for any ghost, but others have a particular ghost in mind. One of these is a ghost named Mary Worth, who is also known as Mary Jane and Bloody Mary. She is the heroine of an old comic strip, but some say she was actually a witch who was hanged at the infamous witch trials in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692. Another of these ghosts is La Llorona, the weeping woman who wanders the streets and cities and towns from Texas to California and throughout Mexico, looking for her lost child. Still another is Mary Wells, a young woman who is supposed to have been killed in a car accident in Indianapolis, Indiana, about 1965. Her ghost is one of the vanishing hitchhikers. It is said that again and again she thumbs her ride home in a passing car, then vanishes before she gets there. Here is how ghost hunters try to raise a ghost. Number one, they find a quiet bathroom, close the door, and turn off the lights. Number two, while they stare at their face in the mirror, they repeat the ghost's name usually 47 times or a hundred times. If any ghost will do, they say any ghost in the place of a name. If they do manage to raise one, its face will slowly replace their face in the mirror. Some say a ghost is likely to be angry at being disturbed. If it gets angry enough, they say, it will try to shatter the mirror and come right into the room. But a player can always turn on the lights and send the ghost back to where it came from. And when that happens, the game is over. So I read this, and I knew a little bit about this legend before, but I never really thought about how to do it. But it's not, I was going to say, it's not really a story as much as it is instructions. It's instructions on how to play Bloody Mary. I think that's why it works, though. Do you because play it, Bloody Mary? And it says, no, they call them players in this. I don't this. think it's a play. It's not a no, because it feels like an authoritative, casual, but informed voice that's explaining yep. to you how to do something that's horrific. So this is weird, but back in elementary, and this is why it really rang out to me, when I was like 11... Kids were doing light as a feather, stiff as a board, stiff as a board, mm-hmm. or they were making themselves faint for oh, some yeah. reason. Do you remember that little weird craze? Yeah, people were weird. Oh, light I know you a, did that. Light as <laughs> a feather. Sure. What's that one? Light, light as a feather, stiff as a board. board. Yeah, you all stick your fingers under, uh, like two fingers, well, four fingers, your, your two hands. Mm-hmm. You stick them under a person, like you get a group of people, one person on the ground, and then you say light as a feather, stiff as a board, and you chant it over and over again, and then you all lift at the same time. And supposedly, it makes them lie as a feather and yes. stiff as a board. And it's oh. true. Um, and also... Like, and then passing and choking each other out. Is that what you're saying? No, yeah. Yeah, well, yes. yeah kind of. Well, it's kind of. You, no, we're not you don't want to give that. our audience yeah. any ideas. Yeah. Okay. Don't <laughs> but do here's it. The thing. It's dumb. It causes seizures this in This combined with the, the, the legend of Bloody Mary, who I read, it, you just had to say her name three times and look in the mirror. And even thinking her name would summon her. And so to this day, and I may not do it every time, but I cannot pass a mirror in the dark. And if I do, sometimes in my head, I'll say, Bloody Mary, be gone. Just because that's how you get rid of her. Because that's how you get rid of her. But aren't you saying her name when you say that? Yes, but he's still, you're telling her to be gone. Jake, you would probably know a little bit of these stories. The, the ones I read, especially from Supernatural Ooh. as well. Because they're on the first season. A face just appeared in the mirror. Stop that you. right now. But this one was really affecting me. Oh my gosh, me. And to this you. day, stop that right now because the lights are off. <laughs> really stuck with me. Uh, I bet. Next category. Choose your most horrific image. Now, this is kind of weird because this is an audio podcast. Yeah. Uh, but so you're going to have to maybe Google these images because they're horrific. But can't you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I'll go first because I just want to get this over with because I have to look at this face as I read the story. Oh, boo-hoo. Oh, I will boo-hoo right now. No, as that. I keep the cover of my book open <laughs> and my image looks at Joel because he hates this one so much. I but do. the image that really gets me 
is of the thing. And this is from the first from scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, that's horrific too. So describe the image before you read the story. He looks like a zombie type figure. Oh, I remember that guy. With a sunken in face and eyes that are pe- yes. small but peering that into your soul. Well, it's like he's, he's got dark around his eyes, but then they're like, they're yellow, like a bright, they're not yellow, it's black I mean, and yeah, white it's black picture. And white. All these pictures are black and white. They're like sketches. They look like watercolor sketches. But he looks like, like a mossy zombie that really, if you see him, you're immediately like petrified. But he's staring your soul at is gone. you, no matter which way you And move. he's smiling. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have any lips. The Thing. Ted Martin and Sam Miller were good friends. They spent a lot of time together. On this particular night, they were sitting on a fence near the post office, talking about one thing and another. There was a field of turnips across the road. Suddenly, they saw something crawl out of the field and stand up. It looked like a man, but in the dark, it was hard to tell for sure. Then it was gone. But as soon as it appeared again, it walked halfway across the road. Then it turned around and went back into the field. Then it came out a third time and started toward them. By now, Ted and Sam were scared, and they started running. But when they finally stopped, they decided they were being foolish. They weren't sure what had scared them, so they decided to go back and get a better look. Pretty soon, they saw it for it was coming to meet them. It was wearing black pants, a white shirt, and black suspenders. Sam said, I'm gonna try and touch it, then we'll know if it's real. He walked up to it and peered into its face. It had bright, penetrating eyes, sunk deep in its head. It looked like a skeleton. Ted took one look and screamed, and again, he and Sam ran, but this time the skeleton followed them. When they got to Ted's house, they stood in the doorway and watched it. It stayed out in the road for a while, then it disappeared. A year later, Ted got sick and died. Toward the end, Sam sat out with him every night. The night Ted died, Sam said he looked just like the skeleton. So it was him. Was it him or is it a harbinger and it cursed him? Could be. Could be either one. That is the thing. I That's cool. I will I'm actually and I may mention this in the pitch show. There is a monster in one of my horror ideas that is based off of the thing it, it, oh. by look a little bit at yeah. least okay i know which one you're talking about yes and i hate to even google this image because it comes up and i just hate looking at it so well so i okay. can't wait kent's, for joel's kent's frustrated because he had to look at that image for a little bit the front cover of kent's hardcover book <laughs> is <laughs> my le- is, that's my least favorite image like that's the yeah. one i can't i can't abide i can't look at uh, and it's the woman from the story, The Haunted House. And to describe her, she's like, she's, a, it's a corpse, but she's standing up. No I mean, She used to be attractive. She's I mean, got, she's she got probably, matted hair. She's, she's got yeah, good hair. Skull, feminine features. No eyes, barely any nose. Her lips are kind of rotting away. It's, it's a horrific It's kind of a Voldemort image. nose thing. Kind of, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, it, I can't look at it. And Kent's got it pointing at me this whole time. Uh, But uh, I'm going to read the story now of The Haunted House. One time a preacher went to see if he could put a haunt to rest at a house in his settlement. The house had been haunted for about 10 years. Several people had tried to stay there all night, but they always would get scared out by the haunt. So the preacher took his Bible and went to the house, went on in, built himself a good fire, and lit a lamp, sat there reading the Bible. Then just before midnight, he heard something start up in the cellar walking back and forth, back and forth. Then it sounded like somebody was trying to scream and got choked off. And there was a lot of thrashing around and struggling and finally everything got quiet. The old preacher took up his Bible again, but before he could start reading, 
he heard footsteps coming up the cellar stairs. He sat watching the door to the cellar and the footsteps kept coming closer and closer. He saw the doorknob turn and when the door began to open, he jumped and hollered, What do you want? The door shut back easy-like and there wasn't a sound. The preacher was trembling a little, but he finally opened the Bible and read a while. Then he got up and laid the book on the chair and went to mending the fire. The haunt started walking again and step, step, step up the cellar stairs. The old preacher sat watching the door, saw the doorknob turn and the door open. It looked like a young woman. He backed up and said, who are you? What do you want? The haunt sort of swayed like she didn't know what to do. Then she just faded out. The old preacher waited, waited, and when he didn't hear any more noises, he went over and shut the door. He was sweating and trembling all over, but he was a brave man and he thought he'd be able to see it through. So he turned his chair to where he could watch and sat down and waited. It wasn't long before he heard the haunt start up again, slowly. Step. 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 Closer and closer. Step. Step. And it was right at the door. The preacher stood up and held his Bible out before him. Then the knob slowly turned and the door opened wide. This time the preacher spoke quiet-like. He said, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who are you and what do you want? The haunt came right across the room, straight to him and took hold of his coat. It was a young woman about twenty years old. Her hair was torn and tangled and the flesh was dropping off her face so he could see the bones and part of the teeth. She had no eyeballs, but there was sort of a blue light way back in her eye sockets, and she had no nose to her face. Then she started talking. It sounded like her voice was coming and going with the wind blowing. She told how her lover had killed her for her money and buried her in the cellar. She said if the preacher would dig up her bones and bury her properly, she could rest. Then she told him to take the end joint of his little finger from her left hand and lay it in the collection plate at the next church meeting, and he'd find out who had murdered her. And she said, If you come back here once more after that, you'll hear my voice at midnight, and I'll tell you where my money is hid, and you can give it to the church. The haunt sobbed like she was tired, and she sunk down toward the floor and was gone. The preacher found her bones and buried them in the graveyard. The next Sunday, the preacher put the finger bone in the collection plate, and when a certain man happened to touch it, it stuck to his hand. The man jumped up and rubbed and scraped and tore at that bone, trying to get it off. Then he went to screaming like he was going crazy. Well, he confessed to the murderer, and they took him to jail. After the man was hung, the preacher went back to the house one night, and the haunt's voice told him to dig under the hearth rock. He did, and he found a big sack of money, and where that haunt had held onto his coat, the print of those bony fingers was burned right into the cloth. It never did come out. That picture. I, I had to look at that picture while I read that story. That picture. Ugh, don't hold that up. Jake, yet. how do you feel about this so far? Are the, these stories, they, they, they feel childish to you? No, that, was, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty it good one. a good one. Yeah. And in, this isn't a kid's book. No, I, this is a kid's book. I mean, like, granted, I thought, I thought the preacher guy was in trouble, actually. I thought she was going to turn on him. Yeah. Well, and some of these, that's the thing is some of these stories have happy endings and some of them have funny endings and some have jump out endings. It's all kind of these different uh, varieties. Yes. Yeah. 
So no, it, no, it's good. It's and good. it's a horrific image. I don't like it. Oh. I don't even like I got to look at it. Kent's book the whole time. Hey, buddy. There she is. All right, next up, gentlemen. What is the story that you already knew? You didn't need to read the book. You already knew this story. I find it so amazing how some of these stories are just everywhere. Yes. Like you hear them over these well, urban and legends. And we knew them at the age of 10. Yeah. Like you tell them over and over again. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple in here that definitely sound familiar. And you're not going to be surprised by these. These are going to be ones you've heard before because these are great urban, urban legends. Yeah. Uh, but I chose High Beams. The girl driving the old blue sedan was a senior at high school. She lived on a farm about eight miles away and used her car to drive back and forth. She had driven into town that night to see a basketball game. Now she was on her way home. As she pulled away from the school, she noticed a red pickup truck follow her out of the parking lot. A few minutes later, the truck was still behind her. I guess we're going in the same direction, she thought. She began to watch the truck in her mirror. When she changed her speed, the driver of the truck changed his speed. When she passed a car, so did he. Then he turned on his high beams, flooding her car with light. He left them on for almost a minute. He probably wants to pass me, she thought, but she was becoming uneasy. Usually she drove home over a back road. Not too many people went that way, but when she turned onto the road, so did the truck. I've got to get away from him, she thought. She began to drive faster. Then he turned on his high beams again. After a minute, he turned them off. Then he turned them on again and off again. She drove even faster. But the truck driver stayed right behind her. Then he turned on his high beams again. Once more, her car was ablaze with light. What is he doing, she wondered. What does he want? Then he turned them off again. But a minute later, he had them back on again. And he left them on. At last, she pulled into her driveway. And the truck pulled in right behind her. She jumped from her car and ran to the house. Call the police, she screamed to her father. Out in the driveway, she could see the driver of the truck. He had a gun in his hand. When the police arrived, they started to arrest him. But he pointed to the girl's car. You don't want me, he said. You want him. Crouched behind the driver's seat, there was a man with a knife. As the driver of the truck explained it, the man slipped into the girl's car just before she left the school. He saw it happen, but there was no way he could stop it. He thought about getting the police, but was afraid to leave her, so he followed the car. Each time the man in the back seat reached up to overpower her, the driver of the truck turned on his high beams. The man dropped down, afraid that someone might see him. Ooh, high beams. Have you ever heard that, Jake? I don't think I have. Really? What? Yeah. Oh, that's one of those that's one of those legends that I loved, the urban legends I loved, because I thought it's one of those misdirection ones where you think the guy in the truck is the bad guy. Yeah. But yeah. then it turns out he was saving her the whole time. And it's actually, uh, I read up on this legend, this urban legend. This goes back to kind of, it's a, it's a morality tale. Of <clears> yes, don't, it is. Don't judge a book by its cover. The guy's, usually in the tale, the guy is gruff looking, or he's a trucker, or he could be, you know, someone that you don't normally trust in these situations. Not that I uh, would liken myself to the girl in this story, but do you guys check the back of your car sometimes when you yes, get out at night? You're the girl. I definitely do. Yeah, I'm the girl, right? <laughs> I'm a little insecure. Sometimes I even think, oh, someone's. if there was someone underneath my car that's going to reach out and cut mm-hmm. my Achilles tendon too, that would be horrific. This isn't Pet Cemetery, Kent. Well, that, I'm ruined by so many things, and this is just one of those things. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is, is that I knew this story. Like We'd always pass this around, this story. Like We always told it. And I remember the movie Urban Legend. Yes, came it, out in like 2000. It, not a great movie. No. But it plays with all these urban legends. And at the very beginning, I was watching the movie and this girl's driving along and this person starts flashing their high beams. And I just got goosebumps because I was like, I know where this is going. Yeah. Just because I, I knew the story so well. But, That's cool. Yeah. So good. I, I'm, I'm actually curious. Maybe it's another show, but Urban Legends from a place like Missouri where pop culture really wasn't your norm, Jake. 
Like, I want to know if like people pass stories down about country living. For sure. Yeah. Like, do the Amish have their own folklore? Um, they might. They have to, right? Yeah, they I mean, that's might. how they entertain each other. Telling yeah, stories. Yeah. All right, Kent. But no high beams. Just you know, no high beams. They have torches. My story is, and I hope you heard this. Jake is called the Hook. Oh, 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 oh! This is a morality tale. Yes, I do know this one. Yeah. Donald and Sarah went to the movies. Then they went for a ride in Donald's car. They parked up on a hill at the edge of town. From there, they could see the lights up and down the valley. Donald turned on the radio and found some music, but an announcer broke in with a news bulletin. A murderer had escaped the state prison. He was armed with a knife and was headed south on foot. His left hand was missing. In its place, he wore a hook. Let's roll up the windows and lock the doors, said Sarah. That's a good idea, said Donald. The prison isn't too far away, said Sarah. Maybe we really should go home. But it's only 10 o'clock, said Donald. I don't care what time it is, she said. I want to go home. Look, Sarah, said Donald. He's not going to climb all the way up here. Why would he do that? Even if he did, all the doors are locked. How would he get in? Donald, he could take a hook and break through a window and open a door, she said. I'm scared and I want to go home. Donald was annoyed. Girls always are afraid of something, he said. As he started the car, Sarah thought she heard someone or something scratching at her door. Did you hear that? She asked as they roared away. It sounded like someone was trying to get in. Oh, sure, said Donald. Soon, they got to her house. Would you like to come in and have some cocoa? She asked. No, he said. I've got to go home. He went around to the other side of the car to let her out. Hanging on the door handle was a hook. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, See, that's dun. one of those stories that it doesn't have the effect it used to have because it's been told so many times. But wow, the first time I heard that, it terrified me. I'm like, he was right there. Yeah, you go to make out point and you're like, oh, yeah, we'll have some privacy. No. Okay, did you ever go to make out point? Of course I did. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Did I get to make out? <laughs> no. It's like, let's just be friends. I'm in the friend zone. It's fine. But there are so many variations of this story, too, where uh, like the one, oh, man, one of them, this is this is scary stuff. But like I was reading up all the different alternate versions of this. And right. one of them, she hears the, he, the boyfriend goes to investigate. Yeah, there's a couple different variations. Of and yes. he locks her in the car and takes the keys with him. And then uh, she ends up seeing the guy with the hook coming out of the coming out of the forest mm -hmm. and she's like i'm fine so she cowers down she's like the door's locked i'm fine i'm fine and then the the guy ends up holding the keys to the car and then the head of her boyfriend yes and that's how the story and ends. granted and I was like Wah! that's probably the story alvin schwartz heard and then he's like i gotta clean this up just a little bit so we had them drive away quickly and they get away and they're safe yes yeah also yeah. the but it's menacing though because the guy's still out there he was that close to them somewhere where they shouldn't have been but now he's bleeding so you know it, it, why was the prison letting him out? A guy with a hook, anyways. <laughs> I don't know. Take away stabby objects from the but prisoners, the, and this please. This is one of those okay. morality tales too, where you just kind of—it's all about you know, hey, don't go necking kids in the fifties. Yeah, because that's what this, this one started uh, yes. circulating was around yeah. the fifties. Both of these actually were around that time. Um, oh, I forgot. I was going to mention this on uh, most horrific images. I had this note here. I wanted to give a shout out to my wife because she used to love these books. Okay. And I thought then, you were going to say necking for a second. Yeah. Speaking of necking, <laughs> uh, I have 18 kids. Um, <laughs> Just wait, don't 18? neck kids. Okay. Uh, but so she was telling me about how she used to love these books. And then one day she opened up to the cat's paw on book two. And yep. it's a picture of a woman who kind of looks like a cat. And she threw down the book and she could never read the books again. Like that image just tell her. Was she, was she like college age or this something? This was last year. <laughs> um, no, it was when she was younger. But sure. that, that image haunted her. I wanted to bring that up and I forgot. Sorry, honey. Oh, that's what these books do. 
Oh, they're awesome. But we're going to we're going to go a little different for this next one. It's going to maybe not be as scary. Yeah, this time I want you guys to choose the lamest story. There's lamest. a lot of there's a lot of lame stories in these books. In fact, about near about a third of each book is dedicated to jokes. Hey, I like the funny ones. Of course you do. You're Joel Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of them they just have zingers at the end or jump outs, and this one I think is the lamest of all the stories. It's called The Ghost with the Bloody Fingers. Okay. It doesn't make sense. He shouldn't have fingers. A businessman arrived at a hotel late one night and asked for a room. The room clerk told him that the hotel was all filled up. There's only one empty room, he said, but we don't rent that one because it's haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in ghosts. The man went up to the room. He unpacked his things and he went to bed. As soon as he did, a ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were bleeding and it was moaning. Bloody fingers! Bloody fingers! When the man saw the ghost, he grabbed his things and ran. The next night, a woman arrived very late. Again, all the rooms were taken except the haunted room. I'll sleep there, she said. I'm not afraid of ghosts. As soon as she got into bed, the ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were still bleeding. It still was moaning. Bloody fingers! Bloody fingers! And the woman took one look and ran. A week later, another guest arrived very late. He also took the haunted room. After he unpacked, he got out his guitar and he began to play. Soon the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding and it was moaning. Bloody fingers! Bloody fingers! The man paid no attention. He just kept strumming his guitar, but the ghost kept moaning and its fingers kept bleeding. Finally, the guitar player looked up. Cool it, man, he said. Get yourself a Band-Aid. Okay. Now, you have <laughs> that to is realize. So no, you have to realize. lame. This was one of the best things as a kid because you could tell this story as if it were a haunted story. And then you turn it around and like, oh, never mind. Cool it, man. Get yourself a Band-Aid. It's band like we can talk to ghosts like, you know, we can disrespect them. It's like them. ghosts, no big deal. But <laughs> cool it, man. Get yourself a Band-Aid. <laughs> Shut up, story. <laughs> uh, that was pretty lame, right, Jake? I thought it was going to be connected to him playing the guitar or something. And like you think he, so? He was a musician and he had no. bloody fingers. Nope. Or, and no, so bloody, it was just we used to tell bloody fingers all the time. We thought it was hilarious. It's funny, like these images, even for the dumb stories, and there That's are a lot, horrific. are still really gross images. Yeah. See, and I don't think it's a lame story. I think it's one of those where you think it's a ghost story, but it's a joke. And that's, you know, as a kid, that's awesome. Mine is legitimately lame. It's called The Hog. And it's in book three. The Hog. I like how you said that. The Hog. When Arthur and Anne were in high school, they fell in love. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They were both big, fat, and jolly and seemed suited to one another. But as sometimes happens, things don't work out. Arthur moved away and married someone else and Anne didn't marry anyone. And not too many years later, she got sick and died. Some said it was from a broken heart. One day, Arthur was driving to a small town, not too far from where he and Anne had grown up. Soon he realized that a hog was following him. No matter how fast Arthur drove, the hog stayed right behind. Each time he looked back, there was the hog. It began to irritate him. Finally, he couldn't stand it any longer. He stopped his car and wrapped the hog on the snout, good and hard. Get out of here, you fat, dirty thing, he shouted. To his astonishment, the hog spoke to him, and it was Anne's voice he heard. It's her ghost, he thought. She's come back as a hog. I was doing no harm, Arthur, the hog said. I was just out for a brisk walk enjoying myself. 
How could you strike me after all that we meant to one another? With that, she turned and trotted away. That's it? Yep. Well, there's a note. There's a note here at the bottom that says, when you tell the story, have the hog speak in a high voice. I was going to ask. That's what the note said, so I had to follow it. All right, isn't, that lame, isn't that lamer? Which one's lamer? His, for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I read that story, and I'm like, there's no horror here. There's no real explanation as to what's going on. Uh, the, the ghost of his wife is a hog, though. That's pretty creepy. No, it's not even his wife. It's like an ex-girlfriend from when they were in high school. Oh, that's lame? Yeah. So, yeah, he well, married. They said they were... They were married and broke. No, or they just he got married. She never did. Oh, okay, and then she died. Okay, and then she came back as a hog that followed his car. Is that just that, a story about is, your ex girlfriend just turning into a hog? That is a really <laughs> fast hog, right? Like he's driving. And it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy. He's like, get out of here. Well, it was going hog for a, that can run sixty miles an hour. It said a brisk walk. Okay. <laughs> What? How is the truck just going at a brisk walk? Hey, I also like how the story describes them as fat and jolly, so you can envision them as pigs later on. <laughs> this is weird. So yeah, lame, not a fan. I had the strongest urges to interrupt and like add commentary when you guys got to the lame ones. Yeah. For You're some not reason, allowed to. Oh, gosh. Setting the mood. All right, so for the next category, this is the one that you cannot believe they put this story in a children's book. Okay, I'll go first. And I had a couple different versions because there's a lot of disturbing things that Most happen. Most of them. Yeah, but this one I just went. That, that seems to be crossing a line a bit. So it's actually uh, a song. Bloody fingers. Not that one. Oh. Cool it, man. Get yourself a band aid. <laughs> uh, this is the hearse song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. Sing it. Sing it. Sing I don't, it. I don't know the tune. Although there is actually musical notation here, so you can play it if you can read music. I don't know. Yeah. It is. I'll just read it. <laughs> Don't you ever laugh as the hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in a big white sheet from your head down to your feet. They put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week, then your coffin starts to leak. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinnacle on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose, they eat the jelly between your toes. A big green worm with rolling eyes crawls in your stomach and out your eyes. Your stomach turns a slimy green and pus pours out like whipping cream. You spread it on a slice of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. <laughs> so visual. What? <laughs> like I remember I actually I have like a very vivid memory of imagining that giant worm with rolling eyes like going through a corpse and Yeah, that's pretty gross. It's gruesome. Yeah. And it's in a children's book. And it's all like the hey pus kids in the jelly. Kids, you're going to die. They're going to bury your identity decompose. Enjoy life. It's actually a good anatomy and physics lesson, right? It's not. not physics, I'm pretty sure yeah. you don't eat toast with pus on it and you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. I can't believe they put that in a kid's book. Speaking, right, speaking of eating, the one I can't believe they put in here is called Wonderful Sausage. One dark, rainy Saturday afternoon, a fat and jolly butcher named Samuel Blunt had an argument over money with his wife, Eloise. Blunt lost his temper and killed Eloise. Then he ground her up into sausage meat and buried her bones under a big flat rock in the backyard. To keep the murder a secret, he told everyone that she moved away. Blunt mixed his new sausage meat with pork, then seasoned it with salt and pepper, added some sage and thyme and a bit of garlic. To give it a special flavor, he smoked it in his smokehouse for a while. He called it Blunt's Special Sausage. There was such a demand for this new sausage that Blunt bought the best hogs he could find and started raising his own pork. He also kept a sharp lookout for humans 
who might make a tasty sausage meat. One day, a nice plump school teacher came into his shop. Blunt grabbed her and ground her up. Another time, Blunt's dentist came by. He was a little round man, and into the grinder he went. Then one by one, the children in the neighborhood began to disappear. And so did their kittens and puppies. But no one ever dreamed that Blunt the Butcher had anything to do with it. Things went on that way for years. Then one day, Blunt made one big mistake. A fat boy came into the butcher shop. Blunt grabbed him and started to drag him off to the sausage grinder. But the boy broke loose and ran out of the shop, and Blunt chased after him, waving a big butcher knife. When people saw this, they realized at once what had become of all the missing children and grown-ups and kittens and puppies. An angry crowd gathered at the butcher shop. No one knows for sure just what happened to Blunt that day. Some say he was fed to his hogs. Others say he was fed to the sausage grinder, but he was never seen again, and neither was his wonderful sausage meat. Wonderful sausage. That's the arm right there. This is one of the stories that parents were freaking out about. Well, and the funny thing is, is I remember the time thinking it was horrific, but now like Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite musicals. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, (laughs) It's a little dark, right? Yeah, but this is like kind of a watered down version of Sweeney Todd. Yes. I think my head always goes to plot holes because I was like kittens and puppies. Like there's not a lot of meat on them. I'm like, yeah, I was like, it's just like fur. Like that seems gross. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) Hey, he made the best meat. It's blunt sausage. Yeah. So good. You're beautiful. <laughs> no, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. You're, you're wonderful. wonderful uh, so yeah, yeah. There you go. Children's books okay. with uh, horrible things about eating. Apparently, Kent and I both get, get triggered by eating things. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty gross. All right. So, what story did you choose for the most disturbing ending? So many choices. Although I want, I want to point this out too, Jacob. I don't know if you notice. Every time Kent reads, I have to look away because that stupid image on the front of his book. <laughs> I didn't know she were looking away, but I didn't know that. I'm was really why. sorry, Joel. I don't know <laughs> like, what, what I'm doing here. Post-it note over her face. I'm trying to find some light in the candle to read by. Okay. Do I can cover her face? Would that make you feel better? Make me feel better. Keep really? Going. No, it's fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll just, do it. I'll just keep looking away. I'll just stare into Jacob's eyes. No change there. Yeah. Or the, the string of lava lamps you have over there on the wall. <laughs> They're nice, aren't they? It's soothing. They're retro. All right. My story is very similar to the last one I read. I must have a thing with cannibalism. Well, that's going to get taken out <laughs> <That's> context. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? But this one with a disturbing ending is called Just Delicious. George Flint loved to eat. Each day at noon, he closed his camera shop for two hours and went home for a big lunch. His wife, Mina, cooked for him. George was a bully, and Mina was a timid woman who did everything he asked because she was afraid of him. On his way home for lunch one day, George stopped at the butcher shop and bought a pound of liver. He loved liver. He would have Mina cook it for dinner that night. Despite all his complaints about her, she was a very good cook. While George ate his lunch, Mina told him that a rich old woman in town had died. Her body was in church next door. It was in an open coffin. Anyone who wanted to see her could. As usual... George was not interested in what Mina had to say. I've got to go back to work, he told her. After he left, Mina began to cook the liver. She added vegetables and spices and simmered it all afternoon, just the way George liked it. When she thought it was done, she cut off a small piece and tasted it. It was delicious. The best she had ever made. She ate a second piece, then a third. It was so good she could not stop eating it. It was only when the liver was all gone she thought of George. What would he do when he found out she had eaten all the liver? Some men would laugh but not George. He would be angry and mean, and she would not want to face that again. But where could she get another piece of liver that late in the day? Then she remembered the old woman lying in church next door, waiting to be buried. George said he never had a better dinner. Have some liver, Mina, he said. It's just delicious. 
I'm not hungry, she said. You finish it. That night, after George had fallen asleep, Mina sat in bed trying to read, but all she could think about was what she had done. Then she thought she heard a woman's voice. Who has my liver? Who has it? Was it her imagination? Was she dreaming? Now the voice was closer. Who has my liver? Who has it? Mina wanted to run. No, no, she whispered. I don't have it. I don't have your liver. Now the voice was right next to her. Who has my liver? Who has it? Mina froze with terror. She pointed at George. He does, she said. He has it. Suddenly the light went out and George screamed and screamed. That's pretty disturbing. (laughs) The reason I find that terrible is because the ending goes on after this book. I find that when, when there's a delayed scream, like the lights go out and you hear someone being eaten by a ghost woman, for example, or this creature, yeah. I find that horrific. Especially it's right next to her in bed and he is being, his liver is being taken out of his body and he, and he is screaming. I hate that description yeah. so well, much. It's a disturbing story to start with, uh, but also, and I found this out in researching the book, is that's one of the golden arm stories, as they call it. Yes. Where there's this ancient, is it Roman or Greek? What's this mean? But they have, a, it's the story of like, this person finds a corpse, they see a golden arm and on the corpse, and so they end up taking it before it gets buried, and then the ghost comes back and wants their item back. Ah. So whether it be a liver or a, the coin or something, there a lot of these stories in these books deal with ghosts coming back to claim what's theirs. Yes. And there's um, a lot of these in these books. There is. But I didn't right, choose Joel, that. Disturbing I actually, ending. This is my only book two uh winner. Which did I you not really like book two? I thought I did, but like book three and book one definitely dominated Okay, in this in this, these categories. But I chose the drum. Once there were two sisters. Dolores was seven and Sandra was five. They lived in a small house in the country with their mother and their baby brother, Arthur. Their father was a seaman and was away on a long voyage. One day Dolores and Sandra were running across the field near their house when they met a gypsy girl playing a drum. Her family was camping in the field for a few days. As the girl played, a little mechanical man and woman came out of the drum and danced. Dolores and Sandra had never seen such a drum, and they begged the girl to give it to them. She looked at them and laughed. I will give it to you, she said, but only if you are really bad. Come back tomorrow and tell me how bad you were, and I will see. As soon as the two sisters got home, they started shouting, which was against the rules in their house. Then they wrote all over the walls with their crayons. At supper, they spilled their food, and when it was time for bed, they wouldn't go. They did everything they could think of to upset their mother. They were really bad. Early the next morning, they hurried off to find the gypsy girl. We were really bad yesterday, they told her, so please give us the drum. But when they told her what they had done, the gypsy girl laughed. (laughs) You must be much worse than that if I am to give you the drum, she said. As soon as Dolores and Sandra got home, they pulled up all the flowers in the garden. They let the pig out and chased it away. They tore their clothes. They sloshed in the mud. They were a lot worse than the day before. If you do not stop, their mother said, I will go away and take Arthur with me, and you will get a new mother with a glass eye and a wooden tail. That scared Dolores and Sandra. They loved their mother, and they loved Arthur, and they could not imagine being without them, and they began to cry. I don't want to leave you, their mother said, but unless you change your behavior, I will have to leave you. We'll be good, the girls promised, yet they did not really believe that their mother would go away. She's just trying to scare us, Dolores said later. We'll get the drum tomorrow, said Sandra. Then we'll be good again. Early the next morning, they rushed off to find the gypsy girl. When they found her, she was playing the drum again, and the little man and the little woman were dancing. 
They told the gypsy girl how bad they had been the day before. That must be bad enough to get the drum, they said. Oh no, the gypsy girl said. You must be much worse than that. But we promised our mother to be good from now on, said the girls. If you really want the drum, the gypsy girl said, you must be much worse. It's only for one day, Dolores told Sandra. Then we will have the drum. I hope you're right, said Sandra. As soon as they got home, they beat the dog with a stick. They broke the dishes. They tore their clothes to pieces. They spanked their baby brother, Arthur. Their mother began to cry. You're not keeping your promise, she said. We'll be good, said Dolores. We promise, said Sandra. I can't wait much longer, said their mother. Please try. Early the next morning, before their mother was awake, Dolores and Sandra ran to see the gypsy girl. They told her all the bad things they had done the day before. We were horrid, said Sandra. We were worse than we have ever been, said Dolores. Can we please have the drum now? No, said the gypsy girl. I was never meant to give it to you. It was just a game we were playing. I thought you knew that. Dolores and Sandra began to cry. They rushed home as quickly as they could, but their mother and Arthur were gone. They're out shopping, said Dolores. They'll be back soon. But they were still not back when time for lunch came. Dolores and Sandra felt lonely and scared. They wandered through the fields the rest of the day. Maybe they will be home when we get back, said Dolores. When they got home, they saw through the window that the lamps were lit, and there was a fire in the fireplace. But they did not see their mother and Arthur. Instead, there was their new mother, her glass eye glistening, her wooden tail thumping on the floor. <laughs> so as a kid, losing your parents is bad enough. It's, it's that security, right? That is. It's like their parents, are just, they're, her mom and her, her brother are just gone. But then the glass eye and wooden tail, it made no sense to me. And so my kid brain just kind of froze when I thought about this well, horrid monster sitting in like, the why rocking she chair. Have a, that seems well, really impractical to have a wooden table. It's, the, imagi- it's yeah. the imagination, yeah. right? It's what kind of monster is there in place of my mother. Yeah. And for some reason, that that ending, I'm just like, what (laughs) is going on? And obviously, this is one of those morality tales of like, behave, kids, or else. Yeah. How did she sit in chairs, though? It's a rocking chair with the slats. And so it just stuck out the back. It just kind of sticks out the back. Mm -hmm. But she wouldn't be able to like turn very quickly. Well, in my mind, you have to like slide. Just to give you an idea of how I've thought about this so much, Jacob, Mm -hmm. in my mind, it's like a segmented uh, cylinders of wood. Kind of like, you know how they have those snakes, those wooden snakes that move yeah, when you yeah. hold them? Mm-hmm. That's how I see her tail. And like she has the big blue glass eye. Why, why are we huh. worried about the uh, <laughs> mechanics of the wooden tail <laughs> when their mother is gone? Yes. And this yeah, and animatronic beast is there. Because yes. they were bad. So there you go. The drum. The drum. That's a good one. All right. Let's go the opposite direction then. What story had the happiest ending? Okay. This is me. And this is from book three. And it's called Such Things Happen. When Bill Nelson's cow stopped giving milk, he called the veterinarian. There's nothing wrong with that cow, the vet said. She's just stubborn. That or some witch got hold of her. Bill and the vet both laughed. That old hag Addie Fitch. I guess she's the closest thing we've got to a witch around here, the vet said. But witches have gone out of style, haven't they? Bill had a run-in with Addie Fitch the month before. He'd hit her cat with his car and killed it. I'm really sorry, Addie Fitch, he told her. I'll get you a new cat. Just as pretty, just as good. Her eyes filled with hate. I raised that cat from a kitten, she hissed. I loved her. We'll be sorry for this, Bill Nelson. Bill sent her a new cat and heard nothing more. Then his cow stopped giving milk. Next, his old truck broke down. After that, his wife fell and broke her arm. We're having a lot of bad luck, he thought. 
Then he thought, maybe it is Addie Fitch getting even. And then, hey, you don't believe in witches. You're just upset. But Bill's grandpa believed in witches. He'd once told Bill there was only one sure way to stop a witch from causing trouble. You find a black walnut tree, he said, and you draw her picture on it. Then you mark an X where her heart is, and you drive a nail into the X. Every day, you drive it in a little deeper. If she's causing trouble, he said, she'll feel pain. When she can't stand it anymore, she'll come to you or send somebody and try to borrow something. If you give her what she wants, that breaks the power of the nail and she'll go on tormenting you. If you don't, she'll have to stop or the pain will kill her. That's what his nice, gentle old grandpa believed. It's pure craziness, Bill thought. Of course, his grandpa didn't have much schooling. Bill had been to college. He knew better. Then Bill's dog, Joe, a perfectly healthy dog, dropped dead just like that. It made Bill angry. Despite all his schooling, he thought, maybe it is Addie Fitch after all. He got a red crayon from his son's room and a hammer and a nail and went into the woods. He found a black walnut tree and drew a picture of Addie Fitch on it. He made an X where her heart was, like his grandpa had said to do. With the hammer, he drove the nail a little way into the X. Then he went home. I feel like a fool, he told his wife. You should, she said. The next day, a boy named Timmy Logan came by. Addie Fitch isn't feeling well, he said. She wonders if she could borrow some sugar from you. Bill Nelson stared at Timmy in amazement. He took a deep breath. Tell her I'm sorry, but I don't have any sugar right now, he said. When Timmy Logan left, Bill went back to the walnut tree and drove the nail in another inch. The next day, the boy came back. Addie Fitch is pretty sick, he said. She's wondering if you got any sugar yet. Tell her I'm sorry, Bill Nelson said, but I still don't have any. Bill went out into the woods and drove the nail another inch. The following day, the boy was back. Addie Fitch is getting sicker, he said. She really needs some sugar. Tell her I still don't have any, Bill answered. Bill's wife was angry. You've got to stop this, she said. If this mumbo-jumbo works, it's like murder. I'll stop when she does, he said. Toward dusk, he stood in the yard, staring at the ridge where the old lady lived, wondering what was going on up there. Then, in half the darkness, he saw Addie Fitch coming slowly down the hill towards him. With her pinched, bony face and her old black coat, she did look like a witch. As Bill got closer, Bill saw that she could barely walk. Maybe I'm really hurting her, he thought. He ran to get his hammer to pull the nail out, but before he could leave, Addie Fitch was in the yard, her face twisted with rage. First you killed my cat, she said. Then you wouldn't give me sugar when I needed it. She swore at him and fell dead at his feet. I'm not surprised she dropped dead that way, the doctor said later. She was very old, maybe 90. It was her heart, of course. Some people thought she was a witch, Bill said. I've heard that, the doctor said. Somebody I know thought Addie Fitch had witched him, Bill went on. He drew a picture of her on a tree, then drove a nail into it to make her stop. That's an old superstition, the doctor said. But people like us don't believe in that sort of thing, do we? It's a pretty happy ending. Everything's okay. Yeah, even though he committed murder. Except, but, for, except the, for the murder. The except image the murder. of the approaching witch. Yeah, Eddie that's, that's, coming that's, down one, the street. that's the one of the pictures. It's yeah. kind of just yeah, like... I kind of wanted them to escalate that a little bit more. But yeah. yeah. No, and they just kind of go in. They don't go too much into it, but I don't know. For some reason, that, that one stuck out to me too of like this guy not believing in witchcraft, but then suddenly believing. And he just goes through with it and then it actually works. Yeah. My story... For Happiest Ending? For Happiest Ending is called The Guests. From book one. A young man and his wife were on a trip to visit his mother. 
Usually they arrived in time for supper, but they had gotten a late start and now it was getting dark. So they decided to look for a place to stay overnight and go on in the morning. Just off the road, they saw a small house in the woods. Maybe they rent rooms, the wife said. So they stopped to ask. An elderly man and woman came to the door. They didn't rent rooms, they said, but they would be glad to have them stay overnight as their guests. They had plenty of room and they would enjoy the company. The old woman made coffee and brought out some cake and the four of them talked for a while. Then the young couple were taken to their room. They again explained that they wanted to pay for this, but the old man said he would not accept any money. The young couple got up early the next morning before their hosts had awakened. On a table near the front door, they left an envelope with some money in it for the room. Then they went on to the next town. They stopped in a restaurant and had breakfast. When they told the owner where they stayed, he was shocked. That can't be, he said. That house burned to the ground, and the man and the woman who lived there died in the fire. The young couple could not believe it, so they went back to the house. Only now, there was no house. All they found was a burned out shell. They stood staring at the ruins, trying to understand what had happened. Then the woman screamed. In the rubble was a badly burned table, like the one they had seen by the front door. On the table was the envelope they had left that morning. I love stories like that. That's cool. There hasn't been a house here for 20 years. Mm, large Marge. And the reason I love this story is because they got free room and board and they got their money back. I know. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> I mean, that really ending. that really hits my heart right here. <laughs> a good deal is what makes Kent's happiest ending. <laughs> it's like, hey, your cheap we, part, right? we got some nice company. Yeah, I'll probably be like, my nightmares will be a little affected for a while. Yeah. But still, free money. No, and I love stories like that, too, where it's <laughs> like they go and do something, go back, and there's something leading them to believe it actually happened. Yes. it was too weird to happen. Absolutely. All right. For the next category, what is the story that could actually be true? There's, there's a lot of fantastical tales, tales in here. Yes. I think all of them could and be true. And even Schwartz so said, far. you know, because he gives little notes in between every chapter and he says, these stories were told to me by people and whether or not they are true, the people who's told them to me believe they are. Now, there's one in here that actually is factually true. Like he has a story that he says this one is legitimately true. Yes. But it's one of the most boring stories. <laughs> is it the pirate one? No, it's the one about the poltergeist. Oh, it's yeah. It's just like it just it's kind of a timestamp of this people that are haunted. And there's no real ending to it either. No, it's just like, hey, mm-hmm. they had this happen at this time. They brought in a priest at this time. Like it's, it's more of a just like kind of a, a log of a haunting. Not that scary. So the one that I believe could be true and so does every girl in the world. Girl? is called the red spot. It's really relating to this uh, feminine side. Today. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I, I, I can't help it, guys, because you're going to hear this story and you're going to relate too. Okay. While Ruth slept, a spider crawled across her face. It stopped for several minutes on her left cheek, then went on its way. What is that red spot on my cheek? She asked her mother the next morning. It looks like a spider bite, her mother said. It will go away. Just don't scratch it. Soon the small red spot grew into a small red boil. Look at it now, Ruth said. It's getting bigger. It's sore. That sometimes happens, her mother said. It's coming to a head. In a few days, the boil was even larger. Look at it now, Ruth said. It hurts and it's ugly. We'll have the doctor look at it, her mother said. Maybe it's infected. But the doctor could not see Ruth until the next day. That night, Ruth took a hot bath. As she soaked herself, the boil burst. Out poured a swarm of tiny spiders from the eggs their mother had laid in her cheek. And there is the horrific image right there. Now, here's the thing. National Geographic came out and said this story could not happen. It's not how spiders lay there. They said they cannot inject that way, but they can lay eggs on your skin. And maybe it could possibly get in or near your skin. 
but I am saying like I got this irritation on my eye right now and I full on think a spider bit me and laid eggs right there <laughs> because yeah, that's what happened for sure. <laughs> that's what happened because yeah. I live in a basement with so many spiders, but the, the, the image of the boil bursting and spiders crawling out of your face. It feels real. It's terrible. And it's that terrible. Is, that's horrifying. It's an awful thought to yes. think about. This episode's so low key. It is. It's I mean, we're like, not yelling. We're just like, yeah. then this happened. Mm-hmm. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're listening in the dark as well. Uh, for my uh, one that could actually be true, I chose another very famous urban legend from book one, The Babysitter. It was nine o'clock in the evening. Everybody was sitting on the couch in front of the TV. There were Richard, Brian, Jenny, and Doreen, the babysitter. The telephone rang. Maybe it's your mother, said Doreen. She picked up the phone. Before she could say a word, a man laughed hysterically and hung up. Who was it? asked Richard. Some nut, said Doreen. What did I miss? At 9.30, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. It was the man who had called before. I'll be there soon, he said. And he laughed and hung up. Who was it? The children asked. Some crazy person, she said. About 10 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Jenny got to it first. Hello, she said. It was the same man. One more hour, he said. And he laughed and hung up. He said one more hour. What does that mean? Asked Jenny. Don't worry, said Doreen. It's somebody fooling around. I'm scared, said Jenny. About 10.30, the telephone rang once more. When Doreen picked it up, the man said, Pretty soon now. And he laughed. Why are you doing this? Doreen screamed. And, she, and he hung up. Was it that guy again? Asked Brian. Yes, said Doreen. I'm going to call the operator and complain. The operator told her to call back if it happened again. And she would trace the call. At 11 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. Very soon now. The man said. And he laughed and hung up. Doreen called the operator. Almost at once, she called back. That person is calling from a telephone upstairs, she said. You'd better leave. I'll get the police. Just then, a door upstairs opened. A man they'd never seen before started down the stairs toward them. As they ran from the house, he was smiling in a very strange way. A few minutes later, the police found him there and arrested him. Babysitter. Babysitter. So uh, it's when a stranger calls, essentially. Oh, exactly. Yes. That's exactly what it's when a stranger calls. And it's an urban legend has been around for a long, long time. But I think that especially nowadays, that call coming from inside the house, mm-hmm. I remember I remember thinking, like there was a time I was with some friends and we got a weird phone call and we were convinced that it was someone calling from inside the house yeah. and we were terrified. And then someone pointed out, you can't call your own house unless you have two lines and we don't have two lines in this house back in the day we had oh so you lines, felt right? a little more secure yeah. about it but nowadays it's like you could triangulate the call and it's like yeah it's coming from, i don't know if they know well, what was coming from upstairs but i'm trying to think because they remade when a stranger calls back in like 2006 yeah i'm trying to remember how they did it because cell phones were a thing at that point i'm not sure maybe they're just like we triangulated the call <laughs> well and- and I also chose this one because, curse my curiosity, I did some digging into this oh, urban ooh, legend. Ooh, now I'm excited. Oh, no. And it actually is based on a crime, I mean, loosely based on a crime that happened back in 1950 uh, with a babysitter named Janet Christman. And uh, there was, and they really don't know much of what happened, except for the police station got a, a phone call from a girl that all they heard was, come quick, and then the phone line cut off, and they didn't know where it was, where it came from. But then when the parents got home... The babysitter had been killed. Ugh. 
and I read up on this story and there were crime photos and I Joel like, it was cursed you, my curiosity. This was this was a, there were crime photos. This was a this, can't can't help just it. no. This in. was one of those spirals where I was like, "Huh, I'm gonna go check this lead. Oh, I'm checking this lead. Why am I here? And what am I doing with my life?" We, we've talked about this on the show, but anytime Joel sends me a message, message that says <laughs> Cur- "curse my curiosity," I know he's been yeah. down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and it's it just, not a good place to be. And it was just he doesn't research. even need the dark web. He will find murder everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Murderpedia for sure. Oh uh, yeah. So there you go. So not only could actually be true, but kind actually has happened. Kind yeah, of. except for, you know, they don't know what happened, but still, yeah, a babysitter was murdered. And you saw the pictures? Uh, not all of them. I stopped pretty quick, so I was like, no! All right, so what is the story that really, really should be made into a movie? Maybe even the upcoming movie. Maybe. This one is, is surreal, but it was one of those stories that kind of stuck with me, and I thought, you could build on this. So after I give the, the story, I'll, I'll give the pitch as well. This is called Faster and Faster from Book 3. Sam and his cousin Bob were walking into the woods. The only sounds were leaves rustling and now and again a bird chirping. It's so quiet here, Bob whispered. But that soon changed. After a few minutes, the two boys started whooping and hollering and chasing one another around. Sam ducked behind a tree. When Bob came by, Sam jumped out at him. Then Bob raced ahead and hid behind a bush. When he looked down, there at his feet was an old drum. Sam! See what I found, he called. It looks just like a tom-tom. I bet it's a hundred years old. Look at the red stains on it, said Sam. I bet it's somebody's blood. Let's get out of here. But Bob could not resist trying the drum. He sat on the ground and held it between his legs. He beat on it with one hand, then the other. Slowly at first, and faster and faster, almost as if he could not stop. Suddenly there were shouts in the woods and the sound of hoofbeats. A cloud of dust rose from behind the line of trees. Then men on horseback galloped towards them. Bob, let's go, Sam shouted. He began to run. Hurry! Bob dropped the drum and ran after him. Sam heard the twang of a bow firing an arrow. Then he heard Bob scream. When Sam turned, he saw Bob pitch forward, dead. But there was no arrow in his body, and there was no wound. And when the police searched, there were no men on horseback, and there were no hoof prints, and there was no drum. The only sounds were leaves rustling, and now and again, a bird chirping. Couldn't the drum stay around? Uh, well, it's going to find the next person. Yeah. Like Jumanji. It's Jumanji. That's exactly yeah. my pitch. Mm. It's Jumanji. Right. No, I just thought this would be kind of an interesting story to take of like this drum that would, when you play it, unleash some sort of haunted aspect of a forest. And then having it kill the one friend. I, I see a group of people, but then being right. pursued by this. It, it's almost like the classic trope of the artifact. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the drum would be the artifact yeah. and take exactly. you to this horrible just, situation. For some reason, just this, this this idea of them just playing this drum and then summoning like this invisible force that could kill you was kind of terrifying. And yeah, I thought, it's terrifying. Yeah, you could play into that. Absolutely awful. All right, my story is from book two, and it's called The Curse. My dad's friend, Charlie Potter, was a small, nervous man who was always looking around, as if he was in some kind of danger. After he told me this story about his college fraternity, I understood why. The frat doesn't exist anymore, he said. It was banned years ago. We had just nine members at that point, and were taking in two more, Jack Lawton and Ernie Kramer. One night in January, just about this time of year, the nine of us took them out into the country for their initiation. We took them to an old deserted house where two young men about our age had been murdered recently. Their murderer was still at large. We gave Jack a lighted candle and told him to go up to the third floor. Stay there for an hour, we told him. Then come back down. Don't speak. Don't make any noise. If your candle goes out, 
carry on in the dark. From where we were standing, we could see the light from Jack's candle moving up the stairs to the second floor, then to the third, but then when he got to the third floor, the candle went out. We guessed that he had come to a drafty corner and the wind blew it out, but when the hour went by and he didn't come down, we weren't so sure. We waited another 15 minutes and got more and more nervous, so we sent Ernie Kramer up after him. When Ernie got to the third floor, his candle also went out. We waited 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but there was no sign of either of them. Come on down, we called, but they didn't answer. Finally, we decided to go and get them. Armed with flashlights, we started up the stairs. It was as quiet and dark as a grave in that house. When we got to the second floor, we called out again, but there was no answer. When we got to the third floor, we walked into a great big open space like an attic. Jack and Ernie weren't there, but we saw footprints in the dust. These led, <clears throat> These led to a room on the other side of the attic. That room was also empty, but there was fresh blood on the floor, and the window was wide open. It was about 25 feet to the ground, but there was no ladder or rope in sight that they could have used to get down. We searched the rest of the house and the land around the house and found nothing. We decided they were playing a trick on us. We figured that in some way they had escaped through the window and were hiding in the woods. The blood on the floor was just to throw us off the track. We guessed that they'd show up the next day with a lot of stories and a lot of laughs, but they didn't. The next day we told the dean of men what had happened and he reported it to the police. The police didn't find anything either and after several weeks the search ended. To this day, no one knows what happened to Jack Lawton and Ernie Kramer. There isn't much more to tell, he said. We weren't arrested, but the college suspended the fraternity and suspended the nine of us from school for a year. The strangest part came after we graduated. Someone must have placed a curse on us. Every year since then, around the time of the initiation, one of us has died or gone crazy. I'm the only one left, he said, and I'm in pretty good health. But there are times when I feel just a little peculiar. Jeez. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew it was coming and I was waiting for it. <laughs> so that is the story. It almost feels like a mid-2000s horror film where it's like a, you have a group of people and there's something mysterious that haunts them. Mm-hmm. Like by tradition every year and will kill them or like make I know them go crazy kind of stuff exactly yeah and, and that one honestly that one when i was reading that i'm like there's not more to the story like surprisingly what happened no to them yeah and so i think the movie would go and i'd want it to be a little less cliche but yes like it's like a haunted house story they send two guys up and they are slaughtered but their bodies are not there there's a lot of blood on the floor and yes these people keep dying year after year but it's almost like uh, like the ring where you don't see anything that mm-hmm. kills them it's very mysterious and maybe till the very very end like a final destination kind of thing you know final destination but you see like when samara finally comes out of the tv oh yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I imagine it being a creature like i don't know if you guys ever ever heard like the creepy pasta called the rake but it's like this creature this slithering creature that's a little bit humanoid as well Oof, we i can send you some images but that's what i picture huh. all right yes but that is the one i think could easily be a movie i could see that movie yeah for sure that'd be an easy that's an easy transition one. Feels very uh, Stephen Kingy. Yeah. yeah. All right, gentlemen, are you ready for the final category? Yes, I am. That's good. And I'm in my muted voice. Yes, I am. Yes, yes I we am. are. We are so even keel on this show. Our voices are ready to go. Yeah. Gentlemen, for the last uh, category, we have saved the very best. I'd like to hear your scariest story. Now, I'm going to go first what on this got? one. Okay. Well, when we say scariest, I, I want to clarify, scariest to me. Yes. Or scariest to Kent. Like, I don't think we could objectively say which one is the scariest. I can. 
You can? Yep. Is it this one? Is it that Mine. one? <laughs> yes. All right. Mine would win every story except for lamest ending. And even it could for some people, but it, the image is awful. And it is just, it's a long story. Like I said, bear with me. But just to share, show with you this picture of Harold. Are you sure you didn't just write this story? Can't you want to share it? Like, is <laughs> I, this a pitch show? This is a story, before I share this, that I have thought about so many times. And I used to think Harold would come visit my room. Uh, it's right, you know, in my, in my basement. Harold's where right I live. behind you. Stop that right now. I used to think he used to come trotting in and come visit me at night. Uh, also, even when I was 20 and I'm on my mission... I would like sometimes if you know, we tell scary stories or whatever, Harold would always come to my mind. I don't know why. Hmm. And now I'm going to tell you the story of Harold. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, it was boring. All day the two men tend their cows, and at night they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It would be fun to make and we could put it in the garden to scare away the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. They made the doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. Then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning on the way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night they brought him inside so they wouldn't get ruined when it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, Very slowly. They would both laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him, even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. How do you like that stew, Harold? He would ask. Well, you better eat it, or else. Then the two men would howl with laughter. One night after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I, I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's an impossible. Let's throw him in the fire, said Thomas, and that will be that. Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave them behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then the doll grunted, but that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and were making those sounds. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden, and each night, they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing he said i was thinking the same thing thomas said maybe it's just our imagination alfred replied we've been up here on this mountain too long the next morning while they were eating harold stood up and walked out of the hut he climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs all day and all night long he trotted like that in the morning harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture the men had no idea what he would do next they were afraid they decided to take the cows down into the valley that same day. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. 
It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked on toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again, and as Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. And that is Harold. Yeah. <laughs> Awful ending. Poor Harold. Awful image. Horrific story. Well, it's, it's the little things, too. Like, just him trotting like a horse back and forth on the yep. roof is one of those images. And the image like, of what? not knowing where he is in the pasture. Yeah. Watching them, and they've treated him so badly. He's grunting. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was I creepy. Definitely creepy. I hate that story. I hated reading it. It gave me it gave me chills the entire time I read it's it. A creepy <laughs> it's a kid's story. Yeah, that is a creepy kid story, isn't it? It's it creepy, sure. isn't it? Yeah. All right, Joel. All I right. can't wait to hear yours. Now, like I said, this is this is scariest to me because when I think of scary stories to tell in the dark, this is one that comes to mind every single time, and uh, it's from book one, and it's called Me Ty Doty Walker. So here's the image. By the way, Jacob, it's a severed head, oh. a severed old man head. He's cute. There was a haunted house where every night a bloody head fell down the chimney. At least that's what people said, so nobody would stay there overnight. Then a rich man offered $200 to whoever would do it. And this boy said he would try if he could have his dog with him, so it was all settled. The very next night, the boy went to the house with his dog. To make it more cheerful, he started a fire in the fireplace. Then he sat in front of the fire and waited and his dog waited with him. For a while, nothing happened. But a little after midnight, he heard someone singing softly and sadly off in the woods. The singing sounded something like this. It's just somebody singing, the boy told himself, but he was frightened. Then his dog answered the song, softly and sadly it sang, Lynchy, kinchy, collie, molly, dingo, dingo. The boy could not believe his ears. His dog had never uttered a word before. Then a few minutes later, he heard the singing again. Now it was closer and louder, but the words were the same. This time the boy tried to stop his dog from answering. He was afraid that whoever was singing would hear it and come after him. But his dog paid no attention. And again it sang, Lynchy, kinchy, collie, molly, dingo, dingo. A half hour later the boy heard the singing again. Now it was in the backyard and the song was the same. Me, Ty, Doty, Walker. Again, the boy tried to keep his dog quiet, but the dog sang louder than ever. Lynchy, kinchy, collie, molly, dingo, dingo. Soon the boy heard the singing again. Now it was coming down the chimney. Me, Ty, Doty, Walker. The dog sang right back. Lynchy, kinchy, collie, molly, dingo, dingo. Suddenly, a bloody head fell out of the chimney. It missed the fire and landed right next to the dog. The dog took one look and fell over, dead from fright. The head turned and stared at the boy. Slowly, it opened its mouth and... Ah! We peaked on that one. I think, yeah. I was going to say, I think might have peaked. Might have. The reason that story is scary, other than the jump scare, yeah. 
is I picture kind of like this medieval sort of hut. Yeah. Right. I, I picture the same thing. A place where it's pretty much open air. The chimney's going to be pretty open as well. Mm-hmm. You feel protected because you have a dog, you have a fire going, you're sitting there. Yeah, I'm going to get somebody to make, you know, to make tonight really easy because ghosts aren't real. And you hear something in the distance. And that's just enough. creepy enough. That is enough. Then your dog starts talking. You know what I'm, that's what I was going to say. You know what I'm most disturbed by? Yeah. Not the screaming head. The dog that's singing. Yeah. That's I'm the most that got disturbed. Me too. I'm like, what? Why like, is the dog singing? Here's the What's dog. What's going on? His best friend who's supposed to be there to comfort him. And yes. all of a sudden the dog is in cahoots yes. and answers. And just the image of him trying to shut up the dog and mm-hmm. it won't stop singing. Well, that gets me. And, and honestly, and the thing in the distance and then getting closer and closer to the house. And, and it's not like, it's not like it keeps singing. An hour goes by a half hour goes by. Yeah. And cause he's like, Oh, everything's okay. I mean, it was just my imagination, but no, nope. oh, wait, it's just outside the house. Yeah. And I love how most of these stories will do that too. They, a lot of these have the progression where it's getting, something's getting closer and closer. The doom is getting closer and closer. Yes. And it really does pray and go. Yeah. And that's things like me tied to, I could do that. The, the sing song voice. Yeah. That's how I always heard in my head. Right. And I could do it without even reading the story. Cause that whole, for some reason, just the gibberish words, like he doesn't even know what his dog is saying to this thing. That mm-hmm. terrifies me. Yeah, it's so good. And she can she call him Molly Dingo Dingo? It was hard <laughs> for me not to go Australian. I know. I, I heard a little Dingo 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 Dingo. Yeah. So Jake, do you want to borrow the book? <laughs> Books. Um. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Would you let your kid read this in the future when she's ten years old? Ten? Gosh, I don't know. It depends on the kid like how she's doing at that point. Yeah. Cause if yeah. this is like her first, like Joel's kids, I feel like some of them could read this. My kids uh, up to this point, we've only read the funny ones together. Okay. We have not gone full scary. Cause you yet. do a lot of education when it comes to horror. I for do. Them. I, I like to build them up. Like, and that thing is like, I build them up in horror. Like we were watching all the universal classic horror monster movies. And my son's right. like, this isn't scary. And I'm like, it's not supposed to be. This is building up the foundation of horror. And yes. then I'll scare you. <laughs> But I, <laughs> and then I'll scare you. Like I have a nine-year-old daughter and I feel like I'll wait maybe two years to expose her to anything like this. And it won't be Harold. It won't be the thing. It won't be the haunted house. Yeah. It will be something a little bit lighter and it sure won't be bloody Mary because they've already gone there. Yeah. You told that story before. Yes. But I, I do. I'm so fascinated by what we were able to get away with when we were kids. I've mm-hmm. looked at these uh, little book newsletters now and they, these books are nowhere to be seen. And it may be because popularity yeah isn't as high and it may be because kids are now exposed to far worse on the internet. Like you have creepypasta, you have Reddit, uh, you know, can't sleep stories and whatnot. And these may be honestly child's play, but they have such a pivotal part in Mm -hmm. our lives. I think it's a real Gen X sort of thing Mm -hmm. that we had this art gifted to us. It is. It's the art. It's the art with the stories. Because really a lot of these stories would be creepy enough, but then you get the image in your head of that severed head or Harold or the girl with the spot on her face or the woman with no eyes. Like these images are seared in my brain to the point where just looking at them gives me the shivers. Yeah, Exactly. But anyway, we hope you enjoyed this walk down memory lane with us. We hope you guys have read these stories. And if not, let us know what you thought. Creepy. creepy Really hope you were driving in the dark or at least listening in the dark. Yeah. Driving in the dark. That'd be a good time to listen to high beams in in the rain. But uh, yes, let us know what you thought on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And hey, give us a review on iTunes as well. We enjoy that. But if you want to find me, you can find me at 76 Joel on Twitter. You can find me performing with Quick They perform every Saturday at the Midville Performing Arts. Midvale Performing Arts Center. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the QuickWits Facebook page. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, go to Kenny3DD. And if you want to read my movie reviews, at showtimeshowdown.com. 
You can find me on Twitter at Jacob A. Rogers, as well as Bacon Sale on Twitter and Instagram, as Joel said, uh, at Bacon Sale. Go check us out there. Uh, as we mentioned before, go check out patreon.com slash bacon sale. If you want some Bacon Sale merchandise, uh, our last uh, Kent's Hitchcock profile, if you saw that uh, episode art, is uh, become pretty popular as far as... Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. You can it's, get it in a hoodie, too. And you can get it in a hoodie, yeah. Somebody we'll just got a hoodie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of want that hoodie, actually. In the meantime... Maybe the dingo ate your bloody fingers. <laughs> you said once you pop. What does that mean? Hello. This must be pop. Out of context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, throw that in now. <laughs> hey, let's just be friends. I'm in the friend zone. It's fine. <laughs> Hey, don't go necking, kids in the 50s. Hey, I like the funny ones. Of course you do. You're Joel Hilton. Shut up, story. Get out of here, you fat, dirty thing. I'll just stare into Jacob's eyes. Bloody fingers. Bloody fingers. A good deal is what makes Ken's happiest ending. <laughs> it's like hit your hey, cheap we, part, right? We got some nice company. Yeah, I'll probably be like, my nightmares will be a little affected for a while. Yeah. But still, free money. Crime photos and I. Joel! It was cursed my curiosity. Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? I must have a thing with cannibalism.